hello everyone and welcome to our show, Let's Talk Mental Health, where we'll be discussing all aspects of mental health and wellness and how it impacts our physical health. We'll share stories and speak with behavioral health experts to normalize conversations around mental health and the need for occasional support. Our goal is to reduce stigma and provide our listeners with the tools and resources you need to lead physically and mentally healthy lives. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and today we're speaking to Anna Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist for the Behavioral Health and Primary Care Integration Program at Providence St. Joseph Mission Heritage Medical Group in California. Today we're discussing parenting during the pandemic. As we all know, the pandemic made it really tough for families to have a sense of calm and peace. Both parents and kids experienced fear and uncertainty and were often isolated. This episode will discuss how parents can help children feel safe and manage their emotions while also maintaining their own mental health. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming our expert today. Hello, Anna. So good to have you back. Well, we've spoken to you on previous episodes, but for those who haven't met you yet and our new listeners, tell them a little bit about yourself and your role at Providence. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here today. My role is I'm a marriage uh, family therapist. I work for the Mental Health Institute down in uh, Mission Heritage Medical Group. I am also part of the COVID Long Haulers Clinic as well. So I've been also addressing some of these behavioral aspects and the COVID Long Hauler symptoms, all of which are tied to just lots of anxiety, depression, and that's mainly what I treat. I talk a lot about, um, you know, individuals and parenting and and family dynamics. So I'm really excited about the topic today. Well, we, I, by the way, I love the long haulers clinic that we have down there. I think it's fascinating. The research coming out of that is just mind blowing in my mind. So thank you oh, for what great. you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mentioned um, in the opening that we're talking about kind of this difficult time that both parents and kids and teachers and I mean, grandparents, we're all having a hard time, right? But how do we deal with it? Like, what are you seeing the most of? What are parents asking you? What are, what's presenting that you're noticing and you're saying, hey, this is something that we should probably flag? I can tell you, so before the pandemic and especially during the pandemic, the big, the biggest things we want to make note of that will increase anxiety and distress, we have our fears combined with lack of control and unpredictability, right? So anytime those three things are existing together, they are creating distress and anxiety. During the pandemic, all of those things were amplified. It's like so a trifecta. Get, absolutely. Yeah. And we can definitely see where it comes from, right? Fear of the unknown, fear of safety, fear of our health, fear for our family members, fear for our children. And then we have the unpredictability. We It was so new that we just didn't have enough research. We don't know what's next. We don't know what's predictable. And the control, because it's so new, we just didn't have the control either to kind of identify what's safe, what's not safe. So during the pandemic, especially in the family dynamic in the household, it was really hard to identify what was the right decision. And I get that a lot. And a lot of patients come to me and say, just, I don't know what the right decision is. The best thing I can tell anyone is that there is no right decision during this time. It's what can I do with what do I have? And it's really just doing what we can with what we're given and who is in the family household with us at that time. And that's really the best thing. It's in the gray area. We don't want to be so black and white and right and wrong, but we want to really land in this gray area of I'm doing the best I can. And that's the biggest thing I do get. 
You're so right too on the like, I just don't know what the right answer is. Cause I think any of us don't know, right? Should I travel? Should I not? Should I send my kid to school? Should I not? Should I take them to the grocery store? Should I not? Do we wear the mask? Do we not wear the mask? So much and so much pressure. And especially when like I noticed with schools, we're on, we're off, we're on, we're off. Like it just kept changing. And when you don't know, like you only know what's current as of today, right? So, I mean, how does that play into it? That kind of not just not knowing, but the fact that it's constantly changing. The only thing that is constant is the change. And to be honest, the the biggest indicator of mental health wellness is flexibility. And that across the board is something that I always emphasize. If we can be flexible with the changes that are going on, that's the primarily biggest thing that's going to get us through it. Because you're right, change happens so often. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next week. But if we can expect the change to be its constant and we can expect the change as something that we move with. It's it's kind of like if you are standing in the shoreline of the ocean, if you fight the waves, you're going to be exhausted. We just can't fight the waves. But if you learn to ride it, you learn to go with it, that's going to be your way to maneuver your way around it. Bob and weave, man. You got to bob and weave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mentioned that kind of like we go to school, we don't go to school, we're on virtual, we're going into school. So much of that impacts not just what you're doing with your kids, but your livelihood, right? Because if my kids aren't in school, I can't go to work. So what did it look like from a professional perspective or a work perspective for parents? To be honest, it was the unknown all the time. I can I can tell you the biggest part of it was just getting really comfortable with the unknown because really, to be honest, control is an illusion, right? The reality is we don't really have a lot of control, but the idea of control really keeps us safe. It really has this um, illusion that we can do something about it. I think what we really found during the pandemic, especially with the unpredictability, you know, do we stay at home? Do the kids stay at home? Do they go to school? With all of it, it's just that we don't really have a lot of control over it. And what I really found was a lot of times there are certain things we can control. Like if you are in the middle of a hurricane, we can't control the hurricane, but we can control how we protect ourselves. We can control how we talk to our family members. We can control you know, helping them prepare as much as possible for the change that's coming, even if we can't control the change itself. It's, it was utter chaos, to be honest. It's like a tornado every single day. But if you start to expect the tornado, you can start to expect ways to predict how can we protect ourselves amidst the change. Well, it's interesting that you, you know, you kind of talked about this accepting change thing, because what's been really interesting for me is that some people are super like just nervous and anxious. You were talking about this, but other people are kind of like, well, nothing phases me anymore. Are you seeing both sides of it? Absolutely. It gets to a point where sometimes it's almost like this exhaustion or feeling emotionally drained because I think, you know, initially in the beginning of the pandemic, there was probably some more panic and there was probably some more worry. And then you get to a point where it's like this constant burnout. And it's what we also call languishing. It's this constant feeling of exhaustion. And some people get to a place where they're just so exhausted and they're tired of it. And some people are just ready to go back to their old routines. And so everyone is at a different stage and everyone's at a different level. And when we think about kids and where they're at too, they go through the same parallel process, but they just have a harder time piecing what they're experiencing or placing words to it. I was wondering about kids because, you know, I, I saw it even within my own neighborhood, kids that used to like be outside all the time now are almost afraid to leave the house, right? And other kids who were kind of like homebound are like, I'm so tired of being at home now. I just want to go do everything. So how do you as a parent handle if, if your child has changed, if they've gone from one to the other, even almost an extreme? To be honest, I, whenever it comes to anything like that, it's got, it's got to be more individualized. So it's always about what are the needs 
what are the fears? What's what's really going on? If we have a child that's really afraid to go outside because there was so much fear with the pandemic, how do we start to normalize those fears? You know, how do we get you in the middle and that happy medium? We don't want to be so black and white that it's bad, it's good. We want to be able to implement the individualizations of what's going on for you and what are your fears and how can we address that? We have people on, on the other end who are complete opposites. And it just speaks to that every single person is different. Every single person is going to need to be talked to from an individual basis and based on what they need and where they want to go with it. Well, you know, when we talk about a, a pandemic and now, I mean, as we move into an endemic, like first it was, you have to wear your mask, you have to wash your hands, you can't touch anything, you have to sanitize everything. We've spent now two plus years telling kids that they have to wear a mask. And now we're going to go into this point where they aren't wearing a mask. As a parent, how do you have that conversation? How do you explain to them why it's changed and that it is okay? Like sh- maybe your child is now panicked. Like, no, I don't want to take my mask off. I think it's all about for each family, it's all about what are the values that you want to keep within the family? What do you want to remind your, your child of? What's going to be the most important thing that you want your child to take away from it? For a lot of families, it could be safety, right? And it, if they decide to keep the mask on, it could be preparing them as much as possible, what that may look like, what the conversation may look like between them and peers. You know, they might get pressure from other other students that will say, why are you wearing a mask? You know, it doesn't necessarily matter as much as if we sit down and we have that conversation with them to talk to them about what may come and the possibilities of it. And if this does happen, what would we do? I can tell you anxiety and distress amongst adults, amongst children, the biggest thing we want to know is answers. And that ties to the control. If we don't have answers, we feel really uncomfortable. So even for kids, we can provide some sort of plan, even if it doesn't fix the problem necessarily, but some sort of plan in response to what they can anticipate, it helps drastically. Well, one question that we had from a few parents was uh, like this, you're talking about making a plan. Do I go to my kids and I say, hey, here's what's changed and here's how we're going to move forward with it? Or do I wait until they ask me questions? Like, am I causing them more anxiety by building them a plan that they don't even care about? I always say go right to it because if we really think about it, if we don't talk about it, one, if if anyone, adult or child, if we're in the unknown, that creates a lot more anxiety. If we don't know what's coming next, sometimes our worst fears are with us. And that's what we think about. So, uh, and we live in the day of internet and, you know, it looks different at school. Everyone has access to Google, but we don't know what's in Google. I think a big part of it too is it's always helpful to go straight. If you have any concerns, go straight and talk to your kids about it. It's better that they hear about it from you versus hearing about it from peer. And then who knows what's accurate out there. I think even as adults, we have questions about what's accurate out there. And kids on another level, we they really don't know. So to the best of our ability, if we have any concerns, it's always better to talk about it first. It's always better to prepare for it. It's always better to have that conversation. That way, if it does come up within their peers and within schools, anywhere, they already have a frame of reference. My mom and dad already talked to me about this. I know I know what to think. I know what to say. Well, I know the one thing about kids that we love and hate sometimes is that they go zero to 60, right? So how do you address it if your kids are like, okay, well, COVID's over. I'm going to go back to how things were because it's not going to be, you know, you're not going to just flip a switch and go right back. How do parents have those conversations? I think a couple of things. I think the first thing is it's almost like you're you're pulling on a balloon that keeps on floating away. You have to tug it back, right? Because it's constantly changing. But when you are the anchor for all of that, and I think it's really important that we think about What's really going on when they go from zero to 60? I think sometimes it, 
it could on the surface, it could be nothing, but sometimes too, it could be another expression of I'm frustrated with this. I am tired of this. So it's more important to maybe dig a little deeper to get an idea of why are they going from zero to 60? Is there something that's changed? Is there a behavior pattern that we want to take a look at? Is there some sort of emotion that's coming up? Because usually in kids, it's just really hard to express. They just, they feel it, but they just don't know how to express it. So it comes out through behaviors. It comes out through zero to 60. Well, you know, one thing that we've noticed or we've seen, and I know you and I talked about this not that long ago, that, you know, during this isolation period, during this pandemic, we saw an increase in depression and anxiety and PTSD and even substance abuse in in use. So how can parents address that? And especially if maybe they've already addressed it during the pandemic, but now that the pandemic's ending, I mean, do parents just expect that that's going to go away? I mean, how do you have those conversations with families? It's so it's so important because what we found during the pandemic is that depression, anxiety became almost norm on some level, even if it wasn't clinical depression or clinical anxiety. Every single person I would imagine on on Earth felt to some capacity, some feelings of sadness, some feelings of hopelessness, some feelings of anxiousness or fear that kind of came up. That's the part where we really want to talk about the difference between the normal feelings of sadness and anxiety in response to it versus clinically, if it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, these are more so disorders that will stay with us longer. It keeps us stuck. We're not able to do things like work, school, our daily chores, brush our teeth, comb our hair. We're, we're stuck in a place where it prevents us from living our lives. Whereas then we have the normal expression of, yes, it makes sense that if you are in the middle of a pandemic, you're going to feel sad. You're going to feel stressed. And so I always compare it to the scale of one to 10. And so 10 is the highest uh, of distress in any situation you can possibly be in. It could be the highest level of stress. If the uh, situation matches the stress levels, that's good. So if you are in a situation where it's an eight and your stress levels, you're at like maybe a seven or eight or nine, it's pretty close. It matches. But if you are having a situation where maybe it's a two, but your reaction is a six, it doesn't quite match. So that's one of the great ways we talk about it, too, is does the situation match what you're feeling? And if it does, that's a good sign. But if it doesn't and you're feeling stuck, that's when we want to start to maybe talk about some resources, get some help, have more of a deeper conversation. Well, I think that lends itself really well because, you know, I talked about that zero to 60, right? And I think a lot of times kids are expected to bounce back, right? Like you have an injury, they bounce back really fast. You have a bad dream, they go right back to sleep, right? So what signs should a parent look for that a kid isn't bouncing back right away? We want to look for behavior patterns that are repeating itself. So I'll give you an example. A lot of times with anxiety, as adults, we can probably label it as anxiety because we've gotten to this place where we understand what anxiety looks like. It's when our heart rate increases, our temperature increases, we start to worry a lot, we could have sweaty palms. But for kids, they might not know exactly what that is. And so sometimes it manifests more physically. So kids, it's really common to have stomach aches. How often are the stomach aches occurring? Is there a trigger? And that's the other thing too, is can we identify what it traces back to? Did it occur this morning before school or did it occur during school? Did something happen at school? So we always want to find the breadcrumb trail back to when did it start? And if it's a consistent pattern that we start to notice. Otherwise, if it's an isolated incident, we're not too worried about it as much as if it's happening every lunchtime at school, there's something that's happening during lunch. No, that makes sense. You know, I think we heard a lot about routines, right, when it came to kids and trying to get them through this pandemic. But how important are routines as we get out of a pandemic and into an endemic? 
Routines are important in the sense that we want to have certain components that stay the same. It, now, how often we, we do that or what it looks like may be up to the family and what works for them. I'll give you an example. So the way I like to describe it is if we go to a playground, you're probably going to find a slide, a set of swings, and you're going to have some of the basic things in the playground. If you go to each playground in each city, it's probably going to look a little different, but the components are still there. So what I always compare it to is if you have the same structure, if there's always going to be breakfast, lunchtime, break time, homework time, if there's always going to be the same components in your day, it might just look a little different as we navigate what looks like in the endemic. As long as the components are the same, that's going to be the anchor that really ties them together. That's going to be the consistency. How that happens, whether homework time is in the morning or homework time is in the afternoon, is completely up to the school, the parents. But as long as it's always there, that's what they're going to really rely on. Well, I think when it comes to school, right, it's always challenging for kids regardless. Before we were in a pandemic, even now, right, school's always been hard. And I personally think school's harder these days than it ever was before. But I mean, that could be my guess, but it feels like it. So how do we help kids deal with this kind of challenging environment as a whole when it comes to school? I always go back to coping skills. You know, the more coping skills we teach kids, the better. And these are not coping skills that ever really go away because these are the ones you carry into adulthood. Sometimes when I'm working with adults and they don't have enough coping skills, it's probably because it wasn't it wasn't something that was obtained when they were younger. So these things don't necessarily go away, but the coping skills are great. Learning to take breaks, learning to have calm, mindful meditations, learning to count to 10 if you're feeling angry, you know, learning to calm your body down, learning to calm your mind down. Having that be a normal process that we go through is so important too, because I think that this the part that, that really gets um, a lot of people stuck is the stigma that if I go through this, there's something wrong. And if I go through this and I have to go through this process of learning coping skills, that means I can't handle it. But the more we start to normalize it at a younger age and the more we start to implement these coping skills, it just means that they can carry it wherever they go. And one of the things um, I, I love to teach family members that have kids is one of the breathing techniques is to be able to you breathe in the pizza. So you're breathing in through your nose and you blow out the candle and you blow you exhale through your mouth. A skill like that is so simple, but if you teach a child that, they can carry that regardless of any setting they're in at any time of day that they're stressed out. It's something that's so invaluable because it's something they keep in their pockets to take it out at any single time. I love that. I love that. You talked about coping skills, which leads me to kind of this idea of resilience, because I think we hear this all the time, like kids need to be resilient. We need to build resilience. What does that even mean? And how do we do that with kids? I would say resilience for, for kids and adults too. It's really about when I fall, how do I get myself back up? I think people get resilience confused with, I don't want to fall and I'm going to try to prevent myself from falling. But what we know about life is that life will happen, stressors will happen, and we always almost fall. So the idea of resilience is how do we pick ourselves back up? And for kids, Yes, they are resilient. And I think it, that's because for kids, they look to the adult for, to be their anchor, to be the person that grounds them, their safety. I think it's also hard for adults because then they have to look inward. I'm, I'm the person that I have to ground myself and I have no one else to rely on but me. And so I think for kids, part of learning the process of that too is learning how do I be my own anchor 
and to know that there is a safe adult close by who's always going to be there for me. So it's a balance between learning some of the skills and it's a balance between finding that safe person that's available all the time. Well, I think it's the safe person is a really interesting idea because, you know, we were talking a lot about parents, but how can teachers work with kids and help them understand that, you know, it's okay to be insecure. It's okay if you're a little bit awkward. You've been at home for a long time. You haven't had these interactions, right? Like what's the role of all adults really in the lives of kids right now? You know, research says if a child has at least one supportive adult, doesn't have to be a parent, but just one supportive adult that believes in them and loves them unconditionally, that sets them up for more success. And it could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be any person in that child's life. And one of the best things I love to do is I always say it makes sense. And I always talk about in the context of, yes, it makes sense that you have it socialized in two years, that you feel a little awkward going into this situation. That makes perfect sense. So instead of using the words normal and not normal, because to be honest, who really knows what normal is and so we don't necessarily want to use this very ambiguous term of what normal could be. And for each person, they think it's a little different. But what we use is it makes sense that you feel that way. It makes sense that you would be upset because mom and dad are going back into the office and you're not with them. It makes sense that there's something going on during lunchtime that's really upsetting because you used to spend lunch with mom and dad. So if, as we talk about it makes sense, we're diving right into the action of normalizing it without having to say normal. Well, you just mentioned something that I was going to ask you, which is a lot of kids have been home with their parents for a couple of years now and parents are going back to work. How's that impacting kids and what are you telling parents as far as how to relate that to their kids and how to watch for maybe potential issues with that? I think it goes back to as much as we can, you know, we want to give them as much information as we have so that they can be as prepared as possible, even if they don't like it, even if they don't fully understand it. And the idea is transitioning them to the transitions is getting normal, getting used to the normal changes that mom and dad are going back to the office. It doesn't mean you have to like it. It just means that these are some of the changes that we're trying to go with. And if you feel upset, this is what we can do. We can talk about it. You can count to 10. We we can, one of the things I, I have to do, um, I digress a little bit, but one of the things I really try to ask people to stay away from is saying you need to calm down right, to be able to to calm a child because they might not know what that means. So when we are reassuring a child, it could mean very specific things to try to get them to use that calm state and activate that without saying the calm. So it could be, you know, when mom and dad go back to work, you're going to, if you feel really upset, you can count to 10. You can take brain breaks. We can have a meditation corner or a break corner that you can go to. You can play nice, calming music. You can talk to your teacher or you can reach out to your friend and talk to your friend to see how you feel. So you're giving these skills and tools and ways to prep for it without being really vague, like saying, you know, if you're upset, you need to calm down. You're saying it's going to be hard when we go to the office, but if you feel upset, this is what you can do. I, I just have to go out there on a limb and, and say, if you tell me to calm down when I'm upset, it's like the polar opposite effect. So I can tell you, as a woman, don't do it. <laughs> 100%, it never works. But I, I think works. for some reason, people really think that's what we have to say. It never works. No, for sure. Well, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, things that you can do. And, and one of the things we're starting to see parents do is like reschedule play dates and put their kids into all these activities and let's do track five days a week. How important is it 
to start putting your kids back into social activities, but how far is too far? Like how much is too much? It's, it is important to get back to socialization, but I will tell you if it's too much, too fast, it can really create this adverse reaction where they will shy away from it. And it's really important, as we talked about earlier, where we want to individualize more needs, it's important to talk to your child about the pace that they're comfortable at. And then we can push it a little bit, but we don't want to push it too far. You know, we are not going to start running a marathon without training. And so we don't want to do the same thing to our kids either. We don't want to throw them to all these activities without having to ease them back in. And just to make sure that, you know, you're always communicating about it. The scaling system is so great, you know, from one to 10. If 10 is the, the most anxious you can feel or the worst you can feel, where are you at? Most kids, if they can count to 10, they can use the system because they can say, you know, I'm really at a four and I'm feeling a little ready for it. I'm a little nervous. I'm going to try it. That's okay. You can use the encouragement and then push them just a little bit. But if they are really at a 10, not feeling good, then maybe we want to back off a little bit. We can save it for another time. And it's all about individualizing those needs. You have such great advice. I feel like we should just talk to you all the time. Um, you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes you can tell that kids are struggling because you're seeing things, eating habits, sleeping habits, they're acting out, stomach aches. I mean, we've seen bedwetting. At what point do parents become concerned that these are emotional things versus like if a stomach ache, maybe you actually have the flu. I mean, I can imagine maybe you actually had COVID. Like at what point do we, we know and how do we tell the difference? I would say if it's an isolated incident, then of course it could be just that on, a, on the surface. If you take in the child to a medical doctor and there's nothing going on, then what's left could be emotional. If you start to notice the patterns of it happening during certain times of the day. So the thing with, for instance, stomach aches and all the physical ailments is that it could happen more so randomly because we can't control it. And if it's truly physical, that, that could be what's happening. But if it's emotional, there will be patterns to it. Is there a certain time of day where it's happening more frequently? Is there a trigger? Is it when mom and dad leave for work in the morning? You know, is it the separation initially? We want to look for these patterns and then we want to start to pick up on is this occurring around the same time? What about animals? Because people got animals during the pandemic and kids got really attached to them. And now they're going back to school and leaving their animals. How is that impacting kids? Are you hearing about that? Is it, I is am. it a struggle? Yeah. Because animals are used to it too. If animals are used to, and adoption rates, from my understanding, skyrocketed during the pandemic. So animals are used to us being there. And of course, there's a transition too, because of course they, they feel the emotions too. And the idea too, and one of the best ways I can tell you I've talked about with families is you're not doing this alone. You're going back to school and you're going to have a hard time in the beginning. Yes. Just like your dog at home is going to be is really going to miss you. And they're going to have a hard time being away from you too. And that makes it so much better when we reunite in the afternoon when you get back home from school. So anything to give them any incentive or any hope to move forward, to get to the moment where you get to reunite again is so meaningful. That's been so helpful for a lot of people. I love that. You're, you're right. Adoption rates were crazy. We had rescues that were completely empty, but I run a rescue and I can tell you that now we're over full again. Everybody's like, oh. I have to go back to work. I can't get my dog. Oh, no. <laughs> I know, which is really hard for the kids. But we've talked a lot about parenting as it relates to the kids. But let's talk about being a parent because there's a lot going on right now. It's very stressful. There's still a lot of uncertainties. There's additional stressors that are from the pandemic. What advice do you give parents when it comes to taking care of themselves and their own mental health? I can tell you in a perfect world, uh, parents would have some time to themselves. 
But I also know that that has not been possible. And a lot of times what I would recommend is for families to create rituals, whether it's quiet time or whether it's break time or whether it's kind of coping time. But if a parent can't necessarily get away, you can start to incorporate the way you cope with your kids. If you practice some grounding skills, if you're doing a breathing exercise and you introduce it to do it with your kids, you know, if you can, it could be the next five minutes where we're going to take some time quiet time. We're just going to focus on looking at this candle that was just lit. We're going to take a couple of deep breaths. So if you can't do it by yourself, if you can't find the time to get away, do it with your family. Not only are you building it with your family too, but you're also able to practice it on your own. And then also in turn, if there are, if there's any possible time to carve away, then do it. But a big part of it too, is I understand that's not always possible. So as much as we can, we incorporate it. And that's kind of been the, the next best thing to do. So one thing we noticed during the pandemic is we heard that there were a lot more divorces and couples splitting, and obviously that impacts children. So I assume that you've seen that. How, how do you have that conversation? What are you telling parents to, to help? I mean, I, again, I know that this happened before the pandemic, but many more people are going through it. So what advice do you give parents to have that conversation about, hey, our family dynamic is changing? I always say, you know, especially during the pandemic, it's so difficult and everyone is doing the best that they can. And sometimes part of making those decisions to do the best thing that you can do for your family is to separate. You know, it's not always keeping the family together. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your certain situation and your family, if that's the choice that you're making, it's it, it's usually in the best interest of the family. And then there's also a lot of consideration into how we talk about it with kids, how we include them still, how to make sure they feel loved. You know, they're not necessarily the cause of it. They're or they're, they don't have to choose between parents because their parents still love them. So some of the, the, the basics of when a family goes through the divorce is still there. But part of the conversation could tie into sometimes the best thing you can do for the family during this time. And it goes back to you do what you can with what you have, right? So this is just what you have to work with. And that could be the decision at the time. Well, I can't believe it's happened again, but we're basically out of time. So I'm going to give you one last question, which is simply this. Is there one takeaway or something we haven't discussed that you want our listeners to walk away from the show and go, okay, that's what I needed to know? I can tell you, we have to throw out normal. We, we have to throw out that word. We have to throw out right and wrong. The idea is we're all just human beings and we're doing the best we possibly can. And that's good enough. It doesn't mean that we're going to do this forever. It just means that during this time, it's going to be what we're going to do to try to get us and our families to the best possible place that we can. It just means that for now, temporarily, it's what we do. It doesn't mean that we're going to continue on. It just means that you're human and it's okay to not be perfect. And we don't want to have the same expectations of pre-pandemic. We want to make sure that you are Living in the here and now, and that means you're working with the here and now, and that doesn't necessarily mean an ideal situation, but what you're doing is enough. You know, as long as you care for your kids and you want to have these conversations, the fact that if you're listening just proves so much that you're wanting to grow, that that's okay. It's okay to be human. Your kids are human. You're human. And the more we start to, instead of saying normal, and the more we just start to jump into what that means and how that's okay, the better I think we'll all. We'll all be. You always have such wise words. I 
I just want to say thank you, Anna, for joining us today on Let's Talk Mental Health. Uh, we look forward to continuing the important conversation on mental health and wellness with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on the Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio Station or on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.